Aloha kako. Kenji here. Earlier this month, Suyuno and I joined Hawaii Public Radio Generation Listen for an online listening lounge. It was a ton of fun. We played clips from Hawaii Rising and chatted with our host Paige Okamura and some listeners about what HPF is all about and what it's been like to meet and talk with so many amazing organizers and Aloha Aina this year. It was a great chance to revisit some of those interviews and reflect on our first year of the show. For those of you who couldn't make it, we have a recording of the lounge for you today. But before we get into that, for all of our listeners on Oahu, we want to invite you to join us this Sunday for the celebration of La Ho'ihoi Ea, Hawaiian Sovereignty Restoration Day. Suyuno will be at Thomas Square in Honolulu at the event organized by HPF community partner La Ho'ihoi Ea Honolulu, who we featured last month in episode 26. A bunch of our new grantee cohort will be gathering there, and it'll be a great chance to meet them and learn what they're all about. While Suyuno is at Thomas Square, I'll be on the west side joining HPF partner Malama Makua for the Lahoi celebration at Poka'i Bay. It's Waianae's second year throwing their own celebration, hosted by Waianae Alohaina. You can find links with information about both events in the description of this episode. We'd love it if you came by and said hi. Okay, back to today's episode. After Paige introduced the lounge, we jumped right in with a clip from our first episode about HPF. Mahalo for that, um, Paige, and mahalo to HPR Jen Listen for having us tonight. We're really excited. Yeah, super stoked to be here. So yeah, um, I guess we're, we're going to just dive into playing a little clip uh, that is our Hawaii People's Fund Executive Director, amazing, fearless leader, Mickey Hui Hui, and um Board pres, president of the board, uh, Kaulana Ng, doing a little bit of an intro of what Hawaii People's Fund is and does in Hawaii. Hawaii People's Fund was founded in 1972 uh, by a group of passionate activists who rejected the unregulated development and displacement um, and uh, the social and economic crisis that was sweeping across Hawaii as a result. And in 1971, in what Honani K. Tras called the birth of the Hawaiian modern Hawaiian movement, uh, farmers in Kalama Valley and their supporters, Kokua Hawaii, uh, they stood up to the Bishop Estate uh, in the first public and super publicized challenge of farmland to real estate conversion. Uh, members of Kokua Hawaii included Hawaii People's Fund's founder, Mr. John Wittick, and many other patriots back when being a patriot wasn't cool, um, like Uncle Larry Kamako Vivo Ole, uh, Kalani Ohelo, Joy Ahn, Pete Thompson, Uncle Soli Niheu, uh, Marion and John Kelly, Gary Kubota, Uncle Ray Katania from Kauai. You know, these folks and many others uh, galvanized community and redirected resources to support and sustain the direct action of resisting development in Kalama Valley. Um, of course, resourcing meant something totally different without the trappings of the nonprofit industrial complex. It meant uncle's got an envelope or brother is a cop, uh, social capital as well as capital capital uh, fueled these early efforts. And, and the, social, the socially conscious movement they instigated in the 70s is literally at the root of the People's Fund. Um, you know, having assembled a critical mass of key social justice advocates giving rise to this idea that 
solidarity across struggles supported by community-based philanthropy could viably fuel a movement for positive change in, in Hawaii. And this movement spread, right? A movement of intersecting struggles, lifting each other up, um, support for Kalama, gathered awareness and action in Avavamalu. These folks lent a hand in resisting the Chinatown evictions, many of whom were laborers, um, who in turn showed up to stand with Po'olau in Waihole Waikane. Um, the Filipino and Japanese immigrant community at Ota Camp, who stood with Kanaka in the Koho'olawe struggle and the Sand Island evictions resistance. It was a movement of resistance to what was becoming the norm of development and displacement and dispossession, uh, socially and economically. And this cross-class, cross-race, cross-issue, intersectional approach to organizing, right, supported by the generosity of a community who valued the critical importance of a just and equitable Hawaii, this, this is our creation story. And for almost 50 years, um, our Ohana has challenged these historical inequities by resourcing and advocating for those who are upending and healing the effects of it. People's Fund has deployed hundreds of small grants to grassroots organizations who continue to propel this homegrown movement for justice and peace and equity in Hawaii. Yeah, and um, almost 50 years later, we're still seeing a lot of the same struggles, you know, like as we record this, the pandemic eviction moratorium is expiring. And we're seeing a lot of people in our community who are stepping up and organizing to keep our neighbors housed, you know, like throughout this whole pandemic, a lot of us were praising frontline workers. And there was a lot of irony in that, you know, because a lot of times these are the people who um, are getting hit the worst and are getting paid the least. And now um, unemployment and throughout this whole pandemic, unemployment has been one of the biggest issues. Um, but guess who's out there organizing for unemployed local people? It's Mr. Wittick at the um, Hawaii Worker Center. You know, 50 years later, he's the guy there on the street organizing. He's, you know, out there with his signs. He's gathering people outside the state unemployment office chanting outside their locked doors, you know, he's, he's just demanding with our neighbors that, that they need to help our communities out. And, um, you know, right now, as we record this, I'm actually wearing a t-shirt that has a picture of Marion Kelly on it. Um, and this is a shirt from La Ea, where they honored her this year. Um, they're one of our, one of the organizations that we've been honored to support for years and years. And, you know, through all of this, it's just a repeating theme that I'm constantly reminded that the People's Fund is part of this lineage, you know, part of this intergenerational mo'oku'au for social justice here in Hawaii. And I just have so much aloha for this movement. And I am just so grateful to do my small part in it. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story about Mr. Wittick, Matt. I mean, every time I hear the origin story of Hawaii People's Fund and how it came to be, it always makes me think of how they were really doing mutual aid before mutual aid became this popularized term. And, you know, Mickey mentioned that now Hawaii People's Fund has had to take on this 501c3 structure, but I feel like um, HPF still somehow manages to do philanthropy in a way that feels more like mutual aid than, you know, what you would traditionally think of as philanthropy. And I think that that has a lot to do with the motto of change, not charity. Um, 
could you just speak a little bit about your intersectional approach to grant making and how you think about that? Right. So, our, yes, our mantra is change, not charity. And, you know, just as recently as last week, someone responded to our summer newsletter campaign saying, you're welcome, but there's nothing wrong with charity. And and we absolutely agree with this, right? Charity plays an important role in the philanthropic landscape, though we run a very different house when it comes to philanthropy. Um, the change work that we prioritize is the value that, that we add to the field. Uh, it's a unique approach to addressing inequities from the roots up versus from the top down. And we support and amplify those that are challenging the systems that result in the need for charity. Right? We view the difference between change and charity as transformation versus triage. And, and what matters most to our people is exactly what we fund. We, you know, my brash response when folks ask what HPF does is if there's an issue or a situation where folks are getting screwed because of oppression or systemic equities, and there's a group, a group of folks coming together to address the root causes of those inequities who are representative of the folks getting screwed, that's who we fund, right? Our intersectional approach to grant making uh, ensures that our most vulnerable communities in Hawaii are heard, served, and centered. Uh, and, and we uplift this through advocacy, um, through community-raised resources, and by dreaming of creative ways to connect people to the work. So the three guiding pillars in HPF's brand of social change philanthropy is constituent-led, community-wide and long-lasting effect. And these have been and continue to be the bare minimum criteria for our social justice grant making. Our grantees represent a wide spectrum of work on a diverse set of issues. And all of these issues, um, we believe, are interrelated and all are important. Sometimes grantees are hitting multiple issues at once, you know, which is a perfect example of the intersectional approach we take in our grant making. And um, this underscores the, underscores the importance of broadening our perspectives and promoting a movement building approach in every aspect of our work. You know, we, we recognize that the who is we serve already have the power. And by redirecting resources to fuel that power, uh, we ensure that the direct correlation between community giving and doing uh, results in social change that benefits everybody. Thank you guys for that um, opening clip. I think it's really powerful to hear the history um, of Hawaii People's Fund. Um, so I'm gonna hand it out back to Tsuyuno and Kenji to kind of give us a little more context. Yeah, so um, each episode of Hawaii Rising, or at least each of the kind of regular episodes features a different one of our grantees. Um, and then we have some special episodes where we're kind of on the ground visiting with them. Um, so yeah, we, we put together just some, some clips that we really loved from the episodes that we've, we've gathered throughout the year that we wanted to share with you all. And I think first, the first clips are with Huyokuapa, which is Hanohano and Maile Naehu, and they're on Molokai and restoring a bunch of local ia or fish ponds on Molokai. The, also Huyokuapa is, is kind of, they, um, they took that kuleana from 
or it was transferred to them from Uncle Walter Ritty. So that's kind of a cool thing. Um, and then I think the clip also includes Nava'a Mao, which is based in Hilo and is with um, it's Hoku Pihana Ness. And she has this incredible energy. She um, leads uh, students, kids out on va'a or canoes um, to paddle and teaches them paddling and teaches them ocean skills, but also to do marine research. She's like an amazing marine research scientist, super, superpower. So we'll let you listen to those clips. Huyo Kopa, our 51C, has moved with us home mm -hmm. where we live. Um, we live next to the last perennial stream on the south shore of Molokai, mm -hmm. Honolivai River, which is right in our Ahupua is where the reef, the long fringing reef of Molokai, it ends and the deep water starts. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of unique features to this place that we want to restore. And I think the biggest um, potential is that we live in the smallest Ahupua in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Ohalahala is the fish pond to this Ahupua. Ahupua. Where we live. This Ahupua mm -hmm. is holding the last running stream, and my family get interest in this Ahupua. So we now, for one of the first times ever, not only have uh, Lokoia that we can restore, but we also have the Ahupua that we could possibly restore too. Yeah. That connects to the reef and the river. And also being a model of not just a nonprofit that says, hey, I want to come in and get a permit and restore this pond, but be an example of an ohana that has kuleana to that, uh, that local ia and say, hey, you know what? Any ohana can do this if yeah. you have the passion to restore and do it. So you look at a lot of these fish ponds that are being restored. They're being, they're being restored in different, on either DHHL land or other, other um, you know, Powahi's land yeah. that they've leased, but this is different. This is Ohana Kuleana. And so uh, we really want to promote that because all these Molokai families, they still, they still live right next, they walk out in the front yard. You know, the front yard is a fish pond, but it's all in disrepair. It's all bus up. And so we want them and their children to be able to see and know that hey, if we could do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. And so we really want to have these training intergenerational programs and it goes back to that proverb about you know you you give a man a fish you feed him for the day mm -hmm. you show them how for fish like they can that. feed themselves forever yeah so that's the idea yeah like we can use this project for for help train and show people or train the people on how for go and do what they gotta do in their own place yes i don't gotta go fix your fish pond i go help you figure out get you ready for you fix your fish pond right. And then I thought, I wonder if we could try all of this stuff in a canoe and how would it differ? What, what, would, ev what would it evoke in them that would, is different than what's being evoked on a motorized vessel? And so that's when we started bringing all of those things in together. We started bringing YSI units out and taking water property, you know, bringing all of the tools that we use on this motorized boat and putting them into the canoe. And just messing around and seeing, oh, what works, what doesn't. One thing was that we realized plankton pools, you know, that you could drag. We were curious to see if we got cleaner catches because there wasn't a motor interrupting 
the movement of the pull that we're trying or the drag that we're catching. So that was um, interesting. And then also too, what came from that was the opportunity to observe more. When you're in a canoe, you tend to make more environmental observations simply because you're closer to the water, you can put your hand in it. You can get into the water and jump back into the canoe. You can look to the Mauna and there's not um, an antenna or something interrupting your field of view. Or, you know, So those were all of the things that were really um, starting to like come to life. And what, what I always say is that the, the fluidity of our you know, integrating of native practices and ways um, we Im implement the mechanical tools to, you know, not to enhance our indigenous practices and cultures, but to just create it more all-encompassing and making it more, um, I guess all-encompassing is the best way to put it because the, the indigenous sciences and practices, the pause, the foundation, I would say culturally, culturally rooted, scientifically rigorous. So what I see for the future our fleets of va'a, caring for our ocean, caring for our peoples, sustaining our resources, you know, providing food and sustenance for our peoples, perpetuating the practices, our cultural practices of everything. Like, and then also within that, collaborating with those that come in and exchange with us and really sharing that space of, of caring for our Ainomomona, just bringing in that Ainomomona, that fruitful land and practice for our people. Fleets of Va'a, all of them, from Hawaii to Polynesia to, to our Native American cousins, all of us just caring for our people through Va'a. So that was the second clip from the Hawaii Rising podcast. I actually have a question for Kenji and Suyuna. I was wondering if we could sort of take one step out really quickly. And especially for those who may not know, like what makes Hawaii People's Fund as a funder unique, but then also what is unique about the organizations that Hawaii People's Fund supports? Yeah, so I think um, as a funder, there are a lot of ways that HPF is really unique. One is it's kind of, um, well, we were hearing in that first clip about its mo'oku how how it's really it, it grew up out out of the movement, out of you know the modern Hawaiian movement, and it was really um, a part of it. it. wasn't a separate thing, you know. Um, and in terms of like the money coming in, you know, for for fifty years, it's really relied on the community itself funding um, groups that are working towards visions that they really believe in. Um, and I, and I think that that visions kind of you hear a little bit of um, with these two examples, there are these really transformative, you know, like systems level, um, hooliing the system and you know bringing about something that's more just in its place. Um, that's the kind of change that HPF really um, uh, wants to invest in. Yeah, that was that was great, Kenji. I think the only thing I would add to that is that. Um, we are a pretty small funder, you know, like we're not one of the huge funders. And, and the other part of that is that we fund the small folks, you know, like we fund the organizations that are maybe a little too 
um, new or too radical or doing work that's too risky for more traditional bigger funders to um, support them. So yeah, thanks for that question. Yeah, and um, HPF really prides itself on oftentimes being the first funder that a group gets. Um, and in doing so, then kind of making that group a little bit less risky for other sources of funding. So really the goal is, you know, to invest in these groups and make it so that they don't need us anymore. Yeah, thank you both. Um, I think part of why I wanted to sort of hone in on that aspect is like, if you look at Kenji's graphic that he has up, the map, the, the recipient map, a lot, you know, some of those, those organizations are recognizable, but most of them are not. Um, and I think it's really important to note because, you know, grassroots, I think we don't always have a very clear definition of what grassroots means when it comes to um, community orgs. But yeah, the, the easiest way to recognize most organizations is when they're already known as, you know, being a nonprofit, 501c3, have their tax status. Um, but grassroots sometimes doesn't need to have anything to do with that, right? Like impactful change doesn't require a tax status. So that's, I mean, to me, I think that's one very important aspect of Hawaii People's Fund. Okay. I guess one um, thing that I, um, you could just chime in here about, um, so both of those, uh, those organizations, we actually got to visit. Um, we, we had a hui ka'i out to Hawaii Island last fall, and we actually got to go out paddling um, with Hoku and, and a group of her students. And it was just really amazing, you know, like seeing her in action and just like the excitement that she brought to everything. It was like, oh, like, look at, you know, that pattern in the water. That, that's where you can see there's a freshwater slick coming on over, you know, the saltwater or, you know, asking all of the students, you know, like, what are you seeing? And, you know, like these different view planes and everything. Um, and, you know, I mean, like we, we recorded those interviews, both of them remotely before we got to see them. Um, and so, I don't know, I guess just wanted to share, you know, like the podcast has been a really awesome way to sit down and have those conversations, but then to really see these people, you know, in their element on the aina that they're malamaing is just like next level. Yeah, well, I think we have a couple more clips to play, right? Okay, so the next one is going to be Ko'olaupoko Junior Civic Club, um, which is based in Heia here on Oahu, and also Kapa'olonopuha. Um, so uh, Kapa'olonopuha does a four-year Lomi Lomi training program, um, and that interview is with Keola Chan, who leads that. And then the Ko'olaupoko Junior Civic Club um, they're a youth-led organization that their project was to recreate the uh, Ku'e petition name signs that um, had been done by Auntie Lynette out in Waianae. And so they were trying to bring that into their moku. Yeah, I think that vision is um, really the key to that Ilya is also talking about is that abundance of relationships, right? And like defining what is those relationships, even within our, our own organization, what are we building? Are we building an organization or are we building a family and ohana? You know, there's, there is, it's very different values. I mean, yes, on paper, we're an organization because, you know, you have to be at all this rights to assembly and 
we're acting under duress under somebody else's law. But in reality, we're building community. And um, on top of that, when it comes to like our larger vision for, I think, Hawaii, not our larger, but like personal, and because, you know, it's only true for you. It's never true for everybody else. Who knows? Maybe everybody got wonderful ideas, and when we pile together, we find out, oh, it's so similar, not same. Um, but building all of that ohana systems again, returning to that um, state of relationships. Um, I know one kupuna, he calls it returning to the doctrine of relationships, the pre-doctrine of discovery. I love that because it's such a different relationship you have with land and people. Um, and, and on top of that, just to like getting, I think like for one of our goals as an organization is starting to develop all this strategic thinking for our generation to start seeing our ohana systems as systems outside of that of, you know, break, developing the new system that we can all live in. Um, and thrive in at the same time. Um, and part of that too is building that multi-generational thinking, because going back to the Kuya petitions, I think that's part of it, is even if they, technically they did succeed because there was never a ratification of a treaty. Um, they never got the, the two-thirds vote. They had to do a joint resolution. But on top of that, their names are now pillars for our continued resistance. So thinking ahead, now we're continuing their legacy. So we are somebody's vision at the end of the day. And on top of that, we need to make sure that our vision, is, or what we're doing now, is going to produce something that's going to be you know, somebody else's life, in a sense. Um, thinking of as like a lot of indigenous groups and even Hawaii, we always say think about the seven generations, you know, the next seven generations and the seven, do something that benefits the seven generations ahead while also honoring the seven generations before. Um, and you know, it's more, everybody has all these different philosophies. It's what's a decision if not affecting all of time, right? And what happens when we implement those types of philosophies into our everyday life and on top of that into how our relationships are with each other and Oh, God forbid that word of governance, but you know, <laughs> all of those things. What, what is that that we're developing? So once you heal the healer, they can go back into their home now, right? And, and begin expanding that into their family members. So establishing a healer in every home, right? That's the next level. Um, so you heal the healer, heal the people in their home, because you don't want, you really don't want, and that's a more modern thing, right? Like, I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to go to school and have get educated. That's a very modern thing. When you look at the, the totality of, of, of education or, or health, it was always in the home, like I was saying. So what we're trying to do is reclaim, take it away. Like we, we relinquished it to say, oh, the DOE is going to teach my child. Or I'm going to go to the doctor and he's in charge of everything to do with my health. Like I have no say. I'm okay with that. Right. But there was not always a, you know, I always say this, like there was not always a Queens hospital you could go to. You had to, you had to know some, you had to, right. There was no long drugs. You could just go over there and like, ah, oh, I want some NyQuil. There was none. You better know how to go out and find that, those healing properties, right. You have to grow those things. So I, I, I think um, for me, the second year is the exciting part because you, you're establishing a healer in every home, which has generational impact at that point, right? You're not just talking like he's a, you, you're not, you're affecting the older generation. If they're in the home, you're, you're affecting your parents, you're infecting the next generation. You're modeling the behavior of what normalized, a, you know, you normalizing a healer in every home at that point. 
um, from a healer in every home, then you move into, you know, a practitioner that can extend that reach. Now, now I can go help clean somebody else's yard because now my yard is clean, right? I clean, I clean my yard and I can go help my neighbor. And then that can extend from the fourth year is really about beyond just my neighbor and my, my Kayo in, in my community, in my Kayo'ulu. Now I can go to the Lahui level. I can help affect change across the Pai'aina. And that's what we need more of as well. Yeah, Kalana just put in the chat uh, the quote from Kainoa's clip, we are someone's vision. Kainoa is so awesome. So that was Kainoa or Bronson Azama speaking in that first part of that last clip, um, who is such a brilliant mind, really. And we're so um, just excited whenever we get to hear him speak. Yeah, it's one of the most rooted young people you could imagine. It's really incredible. Um, I've had a chance to go and document him talking at other events and stuff. And I wish I could just be his entourage, you know, <laughs> it's amazing to follow. Yeah. We went and did a special episode, um, of Kainoa's speech at, uh, the La Honua Earth Day event that was in Waialae on the North shore, um, in April this year. Um, that was fun. Matt, do you have anything you want to add? No, I'm just a fan of this podcast. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think that just imagining you, you know, you guys having the experience to go out and meet all these amazing human beings, like each of these people, meeting any one of them in a lifetime is like a huge treat. Meeting all of them in a row, it seems like a wave of amazing humanity just coming at you. Like, what, what was that experience like just spending time with these people? Like, kind of living in the immersion of, you know, an alternate way of being, you know, like in their element. How was, how was that? Seriously overwhelming. I think we were awash in this like overwhelm when we took our trip to Hawaii islands. Cause that was when we were just like, Oh yeah, we're just going to go like casually hang out with Pua case tomorrow. And like, um, and, and, you know, sharing we would get we would come back from i think we came back from the keokaha makahiki ceremony and we had collected all this video and, and audio clips from there and and a little bit of a conversation with uncle skippy Ioane, who we weren't expecting to have an interview with that day but it just happened and so we were all excited and like i remember sharing a little clip of it with the person we were staying with and it was just like these are such like nuggets of treasure that we get to, um, you know, care for. It's really, really special. Yeah, no, I think um, I've often had to just sort of pinch myself, like, you know, even if it's just a Zoom interview with some of these folks being like, wow, like, you know, I'm, I'm talking to Mehana Vaughn and I'm asking questions and she's just like answering them. And just like having the chance to do that, you know, 30 times over, and now this coming year, we're going to get to do it another 30 times. Um, just, yeah, I don't know. It's e even like a, a year into this, still like processing it. <laughs> yeah, that episode with um, Mehana Vaughn was incredible. Some revolutionary, super progressive type of thinking about land and justice. Like, that was one of my favorite ones, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and actually it makes me think about um, something you were saying, Paige, about just like looking at the map and this kind of grassroots work. 
there was one thing that she was talking about was like seeing all of these, um, you know, kind of small scale community groups taking, you know, charge of their local Aina, right? And how that is one of the things that gives her hope is seeing that across Hawaii, you know, you just have, you have all of these groups springing up that are saying, you know, like, oh, you know, this was my, you know, Ohana's land back in the day. And now we're going to like make sure that it's taken care of. And we just need people all over to do that, you know, because nobody can do all of it. You know, everybody has to, um, you know, clean their own yard, I guess, like Kayla Chan was saying. Yeah, I think something else, too, that isn't always front of mind when we're making this podcast, but is really exciting to think about, especially like right now, as we're looking back on some of these clips and looking back on this first year of making this podcast is like how um, interesting it'll be for people, however many years in the future to listen back to this as an archive of, you know, some of, some of the quotes that are just so rich from these legendary icons of this movement will be really exciting to see happen in the future. Yeah, you know, one of those quotes um, from the clip that we just heard, um, when Kiola talks about, you know, change in the home, which grows into change into your kaiaulu and your community, then grows into transformative change for the Lahui, right? Like small change that sort of exponentially grows and gets bigger. Um, which I think ties back into when Mickey was talking about, you know, transformation versus triage. Uh, I think because for the most part in our communities, it feels like we're constantly doing triage. Like we're constantly trying to fix or put out a fire, right? But But really the hope is that, you know, that the support is really for the transformation so that we no longer need to triage. I think that was like a really um, important thing that sort of ties it all back together. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's also just a really good thing to keep in mind when it sometimes it feels like there are just so many fires to put out. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, all of this stuff recently, right? Like with Red Hill and now there's RIMPAC 2 going on and this month and just knowing that there are people out there that are working on those you know like addressing those immediate things and standing up when they need to but are also looking past them um and working towards something beyond that um i think is for me at least has been a really important thing to keep in mind yes being engaged with hawaii people's fund is something that has given me hope very many times in the past couple of years for sure Um, so we do have one more clip that we want to play for everybody, but we kind of want to close and wrap up with that clip. So before um, Suyuna and Kenji introduce it, does anybody have any more questions or anything they might want to throw out there before we move to the last clip? Well, maybe Suyono and Kenji can elaborate on that last point about how how does one look past triage and putting out fires because it does feel overwhelming sometimes right to go from one fire to the next versus looking at the bigger picture and and 
looking at transformation. So how, how does one go about focusing more on transformation, I guess? I mean, I think something I've been thinking about recently is that triage is also still necessary. Um, you know, like that's definitely still a part of it, but I think through seeing the work, like being so engaged with all of these different organizations that are doing such different work, um, but all kind of challenging systems of oppression in very different ways. Um, I've just been more and more aware of that there, there can be so many different kinds of approaches to this work and so many different kinds of actions. And sometimes you have to be um, stopping something from happening. Sometimes you have to be trying to call for the end or for the defueling of the tanks, you know, but then there are other times, or maybe even at the same time, there are other things happening where you're um, taking care of the stream by your house, you know? And so I think that's what has helped me to find more hope and shift my focus a little bit to transformation is that it's not like triage is happening a lot and all the time and it is necessary and important, but it's not the only route. And there are lots of ways that people can plug in and make change. And I guess something I would add to that is thinking about kind of different timescales. Um, an example that I think about is Malama Makua, which has been funded many times right, by HPF, um, longstanding community partner. And, you know, the their first big accomplishment was stopping further bombing, right? And so that was a triage thing, right? You know, of saying, like, stopping more harm being done to the Aina. Um, but now, you know, that was... I think 17 years ago, if I'm remembering right, about that, there's been it's like 17 years of peace. And they've still been showing up all of those 17 years. And in that process have also, you know, been um, facilitating a relationship between the community and, and the Valley through cultural access and also changing the relationship between the army and, and the community. And I think that's one of those things where it's taken a long time to really see some of that change happen. Um, but that is a sort of kind of transformative level change, right? Like after the um, stopping the bombing now, it's like, okay, now we're actually going to, um, the, the Valley, you know, like I, I just think about some of the Mana'o that some of those folks have shared, like Uncle Vince Dodge about, you know, like the Valley is in charge. Malama Makua is not in charge. The army is not in charge. The Valley is in charge. And the Valley has really changed the dynamic and the relationship over this kind of longstanding, you know, twice a month, Malama Makua showing up and leading people into the Valley, right? And interacting with the army staffers. And then there's sort of like the thinking longer term, right? Like, you know, Uncle Sparky Rodriguez talks about how, you know, he's not going to see the Valley clean. He's not going to see it where you can grow food there or anybody can live there. But, you know, if if we don't start now, then when will it ever happen, right? So that kind of change, knowing that there will be people five generations down the line who will pick it up from the people, you know, and that thinking of that kind of timescale, I think is, um, at least for me, has helped me put in perspective because like, I don't know, you know, you want change now, you know, you want to, <laughs> you want the Valley back now, you want to clean now, but like knowing that, um, you know, as as you're doing those immediate actions, you're also 
thinking on this longer term, you know, having this longer term vision. And I think that's one thing that sets apart a lot of um, the the HPF's partners is they really are looking at it that way, you know? Thank you. Anything else anybody wants to throw out there before we close up with the last clip? Thank you both so much. Yeah, mahalo for having us. This has been awesome. Yeah, mahalo you folks. Okay, so with that, we're just going to wrap it up. I'm going to let them introduce the next clip. We're going to listen to the next clip. And thank you all for joining us this evening. Cool. So this last clip, Kenji, it's Laho Iho Iea and Kalao Kekohuli. Is that correct? Okay, so yes, this is La Ho'i Ho'i'ea, celebrating Sovereignty Restoration Day. It's an annual celebration, and Kalao Kikahuli is an organization on Maui doing um, cultural, reviving cultural birthing practices. And uh, just quick mana'o behind this pairing is the way they think about um, birthing Ea. One of our good friends, Puni Jackson, you know, who is affiliated with who's a po'o of Ho'olu Aina and just a powerful manifestation of Haumea. Um, we had asked her one year <clears throat> what she envisions when she thinks about an independent Hawaii. And she answered by saying, you know, when I'm hapai, I don't know what my baby's going to look like when it's born. You just do all of the things that you need to do to take care of your kino and, of, you know, create the community around you. And then you, you birth that baby and then you get to see what the baby looks like. With my son, I labored for almost three days at home. I had a, a planned home birth and I mentioned, I think earlier in our kind of getting to know each other part that, um, birth doesn't always go as planned. <laughs> and so we decided to, that it would be right for us to go to the hospital. And my, um, my son was born at the Maui hospital, uh, but my parents took us there and we didn't know what we were going to name him yet at that point either. But as my parents were driving back home up country, the sun was starting to, um, crest over Halakala and my dad gave us the name if we wanted to use it uh, so um, many meanings in both of our Inoa uh, but I wanted to leave us with the symbolism of my son's name which is the breaking of dawn that surrounds the earth and the way that we are envisioning the work that we do in at Kaloa Kekohuli is to usher in this new dawn, to help to birth this new, this new era for our, our, our Lahui. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me. And me. With additional support from... Mickey! Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Huihui. Thank you to our community donors and to you, our audience, for listening. Ahui ho!